And the CEO stops and goes, can you get rid of the fax machines? 80% of our business is being run off fax machines and faxes. And so it's such a big disconnect between the technology leaders in that room asking about blockchain and Alexa versus the business's problems, which is dealing with paper. What's a fax machine, I hear some people wondering. This is Matthew Grant from Instec London, and welcome to the Instec London podcast. Now, it's always fantastic talking to founders of companies that are bringing something new and challenging into the insurance market. This week, I'm on the phone to Gary Hobman, CEO and founder of Uncork. And if you've ever wondered what it takes to convince investors to put hundreds of millions of dollars into a business, then this one is for you. But more importantly, Uncork is offering to solve the challenge of the industry's bogeyman, legacy systems, and a whole lot more. It's a long podcast. Gary's got a lot to say, but I'd love to get your feedback. Do you agree with what he says or not? So share your comments with the world on my LinkedIn post for this or other podcasts. Gary, it's great to spend some time with you. You've got a lot going on. Uh, Uncork is a recent, but you seem to be a very fast-moving entrant to the insurance technology world. You founded it only in 2017, and you're offering a no-code platform, which I'm really looking forward to hearing more about. Uh, it's kind of hard to keep up with your funding. Just in the last month, you had another $50 million of funding, according to Crunchbase. That looks like it brings you up to $158 million. Uh, you yourself had a, had a rather unconventional career in the 80s, which I'm sure going to come back to. You served 16 years at Citibank. And then you discovered insurance at MetLife, uh, where you were CIO for four years. And then you set up Uncork. So uh, a lot going on. Delighted to have some time for talk. And I know you've got some other breaking news to share with us before we kick off the, uh, the discussion. Yeah, no. And thank you so much, Matthew, for having uh, me on. It's a pleasure to be here and be part of your podcast. Uh, definitely, it's funny because my journey, I think probably since I was like fifth grade, hasn't changed much, which is uh, a journey of uh, being able to deliver what I would call magical solutions or software in the world where um, ahead of its time and capabilities, being able to drive new features and functionality for Wall Street and other industries like insurance. And uh, it all started with those those days in the past when you know I literally would be doing 360 jumps over cars and skateboarding or surfing waves in uh, huge waves and just that whole background, which which basically makes you think you could do anything in life, which has really been my journey through throughout my life. And uh, and I'm really I'm excited this morning as we we came in this morning to see an amazing blog post on LinkedIn from Greg Larkin who who speaks at Singularity University and uh, I had met during one of his incredible posts of why big finance falters in fintech and uh, he he wrote an amazing uh, blog post it's part of his new uh, I think presentations he delivers to companies basically saying that we've been living in a decade of what he calls disruption 1.0 which is um, you know, this idea that there was you know, a punk kid, like let's just say Mark Zuckerberg, who has an idea and he's in his hoodie and he's in school and he transitions to the end of the decade focusing on him in front of uh, Congress testifying in a suit and pinstripes. And that whole idea of maturity of technology and maturity of people to deliver solutions. 
and then he contrasts it to what he's calling disruption 2.0, which he actually has my picture from an investor day. I was in front of investors and Fortune 50 public company representing MetLife with 10,000 developers in 47 countries, and where I am now, which he calls punk. So he says disruption 2.0 is this whole concept of um, people who, and industry leaders who know the industry and inside out and know the pain points going to go fix it and solve it and make real difference in the world. And, and I love that analogy. And I, I think that that's, uh, we're excited to be leading the charge there. I think what for me is so insightful about that is it's a sort of new definition of disruption, which you know, I hope we're going to talk a bit more about, but the sense of it doesn't have to be somebody coming from outside of the industry and coming up with something totally different. It's you've come, you know, you've ended up in insurance and then you've obviously doing something very successful to be able to progress so much to actually help people solve some of these issues. And I'm looking forward to learning about what you're doing around this legacy issue. So yeah, and a really interesting, yeah, congratulations for being representative of that new stage of disruption, but also almost reinventing a new category of disruption, I think. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again, Matt. So, so first of all, yes, can we, can we talk about what no code actually means and, and then why are you finding that that is, is helping you to get such progress with your, uh, with your clients? Yeah, definitely. And so I, I call myself a hacker by background. And so what that means is since fifth grade on my, my father's publishing business, punch card machines, I was programming. And I love the idea that you could, you could take code, whether it's in Pascal and Fortran back then or Java or Node.js or JavaScript today and be able to make it do incredible new things that no one envisioned before. And I love the idea of being able to solve problems on Wall Street for trading systems and banking systems and uh, private banks through mutual funds, through insurance. And what I saw happening in the industry was more and more spend and less and less output. And what I mean by that is all the board members out there and everyone who's on board of directors and measuring companies, they're looking at technology in two lenses. One, is it on time and is it in budget? That's it, two metrics. And it's a lever. It's are we delivering things when we say we would at the cost we said we would? No one has ever asked the question, is it generating the value we set out to when we started that initiative? It's such a fundamental common sense thing that no one in the world is doing. And if you step back today and ask that question, what's the value of that initiative? You're going to find 90% of it has no value today, which is what I personally saw. And what I started to see was this concept where as a technology visionary and leader, I was becoming an attorney where I would basically be asked by my business partner, hey, you delivered this, it cost us $10 million, but it's not working or it's not what we needed. And in turn, you would pull out their signature and say, but you signed off on it. And that's what you said you needed. So this whole concept of delivering business value is what's unique about us. But more importantly, we believe a business actually doesn't know what they need until it's in production. It's in their hands. And this is a fundamental shift in technology in that essence, meaning agile is too slow and waterfalls way too slow to deliver technology. So if the business doesn't know what they need until it's in production, there is no way to change that easily because code is an immovable object. It's a risk. It's a security risk. It's got compliance and controls. So we built the concept of no code, which is a visual drag and drop enterprise tool that allows whomever knows what needs to be done, whether it's the business or technology, to take control and drag and drop to create that solution 
without ever thinking again about code or programming or fundamental concepts and algorithms, without ever thinking again about security, cyber, without ever thinking again about performance and management and oversight. And it's all built into the platform as a base, allowing you to create the most complex enterprise-grade secure platform without ever thinking twice about is it performing and running the way I expect it to. What you've done or you're doing what sounds like a, I'm tempted to call it, uh, some magic around solving a lot of the industry problems. I was actually interested to notice on your website, you had a statistic for different levels of failure rate for projects based on the spend. And it's interesting that projects above $10 million had a 93% failure rate, which I think is partly what is driving this. But just as you've looked at building this no-code platform, how, what is it about what you've done that has enabled you to be successful or you think is making you successful that other people haven't achieved, uh, been able to achieve? And, and a related question to that is, you know, where does it fit around the legacy that's out there? Is, is, this, is this a solution for legacy or is it a question of having to start afresh to really be successful? Yeah, let me, let me start backwards actually. So the legacy question, most initiatives I've personally seen fail or written off in my life were because we couldn't integrate it back into the way the business functioned, integrate it to the core legacy systems or the core books and records if it's a banking system, product processors or administrative platforms, or even HR or even uh, healthcare. Maybe it's into the, uh, the electronic health record system. So we built integration to be nothing but a drag and drop exercise where you map fields and you basically map data and there's, everything else is done magically by Uncork to make it happen. So stop thinking about integration. What's different about us is while we could integrate into the tens of thousands of legacy systems each company is running today, we also could become their core system and be the books and records of holding their data. And we're doing that for companies like Goldman Sachs, who's an investor, was a client first, and other Fortune 100 companies. So different than just being a thin veneer on top of the legacy problem or automating the legacy problem, we could replace the legacy in Uncork. In a technology, and when we describe no code, what it means is a few things. It means we don't generate code because we only believe code should be written and generated when it's an absolute competitive advantage for your company. And there's very few of that out there. So I think 95% of what any financial institution does today is basically um, raising, no raising the bar. It's not advantageous for any company to do it. Getting back to your earlier question, what's different about us? What's unique? What's our advantage? We come from the world of enterprise, which means we could sit with a board member or a CEO or the CIO and have respect and credibility that we understand their problems, their business, their needs. Simple premise, would I kick myself out of my office if I showed up? I was running a billion to spend, 1.2 billion to spend a year. If I showed up with Uncork, would I kick myself out? So we built it based on secure, single tenant premise, cloud agnostic, everything I would want to see in a company, which no other company could think through unless they lived through those and actually understood the pain points and scars that we lived through in technology and large enterprises. And we built it in a way where we could have credibility with the business, understand their problems, a platform that the CTOs and chief architects cannot find a single thing wrong with, a platform that the chief risk officers and chief information security officers will never find a single thing challenging of the security or data storage, which no company could say before. And so if I stop there for one second, that's the base. That's how we started the company. 
but how it's actually grown and what's unique about us and what's really empowering is all of our customers' requirements from dozens of the top Fortune 100 companies, those most challenging requirements that they couldn't deliver themselves before are all coming into a central product team and all being deployed to the same technology stack and platform so that a um, patient registration system running a hospital is the exact same technology being used by Goldman Sachs, is the same technology being used in Asia for robo-advisor and asset management and cash servicing and cash movement. So all of those technologies across even the insurance value chain from underwriting systems to claim system to policy systems, they're all running the same code base and they're all benefiting each other with features. So when Goldman, you know, one of our clients says we need to be worm compliant, right? Once read many because we're storing data, that same feature benefited Liberty Mutual as a customer who's using it as well. So it sounds like you've, you've really found a way to scale the business, but I just want to touch back on this legacy question. So for companies that have got existing policy and administration systems and have got you know, both money invested in those, but I think from you know, more significantly, they're critical to how they run the business and they can't switch them off straight away. Are you providing a solution that can sort of work with, wrap around the legacy systems and, and allow them to migrate over time? Or do they have to take a sort of greenfield approach when they're working with you? So we want to make an impact for our customers, which means we have to integrate into their core legacy systems that they've invested money over the past 40, 50 years in building. And what that means is that integration to us is nothing but drag and drop, no code exercise, and it's a mapping. And it's not just integrating into one system. We might have to integrate into you know, their PNC auto insurance system, a different system for home, a different system based on state, a different system based on life insurance, or a different system for annuity. So Uncork typically starts with a customer as kind of this glass on top of their complexity and legacy and integrating all their systems into a brand new interface. What we're finding customers do is start to migrate their core functionality into Uncork. So their commissions, their calculations, their rating, their business rules, the eligibility, the suitability, their claims processing. And the more they're moving into Uncork, the less those administrative systems and the core legacy is doing behind the scenes to the point that eventually they're replaced by Uncork. And we've already seen one major Fortune 100 insurer has replaced their core admin system. So Uncork is the only technology doing everything for the quote buying, issuance, underwriting aspects of their business today. And you've also been moving incredibly quickly. I mean, you list nationwide, Goldman, you mentioned as a client and investor, Liberty Mutual, John Hancock, Hanover, as clients, I mean, the, the challenge a lot of people have with a new business is convincing the organization and particularly you know, convincing the CIO or CTO to work with a new organization. Now, how have you managed to move so quickly in a relatively short period of time with some companies that you know, themselves I know have got very long procurement cycles? Yeah, so, so the trick is, uh, and I've learned this myself as a CIO, so if there was a technology that would benefit the company, the shareholders, we would expedite it through and make sure it went through all the right checks. But if it was a critical need, you would make it happen. Uh, we're seeing this happen with all of our customers. An example would be is there was a major uh, top five, let's say, bank in the world who uh, first meeting was maybe November of last year. And it was the chief operating officer who ran the business who basically said, 
you know what, I'm going to come on site because I, I want to see this for myself. And basically we're going to build my entire application with me and your team together in two days. Another bank sent their entire investment bank bankers over here and the investment bank technology team. And the second they see it's real and it's not just this theory, it's in, in the first meeting with a customer, we, we do most of the work in platform to show it's real and build an application. And with the second they see it's real, you would be surprised how fast we could expedite through procurement. So that first meeting in November with this multinational bank, um, we've already got approval from all the chief architects and they'll be onboarded this month and be a production customer this month. That's how fast, four months from first meeting through production. We've seen that with a very large insurer in the U.S. as well. We were live in two months from first meeting to production. So it's really understanding the way companies work, which most software companies, even the largest large cap companies today in the world, actually don't understand the way software is actually building, built today in companies. They don't understand the pain points. Well, I mean, that's very impressive. I think you could probably have a secondary career or maybe there's a, there's a book in the future about how to get through procurement in large insurance organizations. Um, but I wanted to come back to something that I had read about Goldman when you provided some technology to them. And it, what it looked like is that there was little or no help that you gave them. And maybe this is true of other clients with the installation and configuration and, and you pass it on to the companies to do it themselves. I mean, is that true? And also, if so, what does that mean for the companies that are making a lot of money out of system integration? Yeah, no, it's, it's a great question, Matthew. And just, I just add one more point to your prior question before I get there is, um, we actually have a, a procedure that we don't respond to RFPs or RFIs. So requests for proposals or requests for information because we don't believe in the process. And um, even in some of the largest insurance companies in the world, we have declined to participate in the RFPs and we get invited to be the bake-off at the end against whoever won and we will win it 100% of the time. Now, getting, getting back to your, your other question, about a year and a half ago with Goldman's Series A investment, April 2019, and before that we started working with them about six months before as a client, we basically were able to invest in building the platform to be self-service to the point that there is an Uncork Academy site where we've trained over 2,500 people and a thousand of those in person in building technology and applications. In addition, there is many strategic integrators. So from the Deloitte's and ENYs and KPMGs to the Cognizants, to the Virtusers, who have embraced this and said, their customers love this technology. They love Uncork. They're going to build practices around it in order to enable those customers to get value faster. In addition, those same companies and more are building their own platforms in Uncork for mortgage servicing and mortgage origination and LIBOR and claims processing and admin system. So they are absolutely embracing the concept of using Uncork as a platform to help deliver value to their customers better than anyone else. So you've got a, a very powerful sort of virtual sales force out there through the consulting organizations. We do, and when we started the company, um, we started it with a very different concept. While, while this is a, I think one of the, the fourth largest Series B in New York's history across industries, and maybe the largest software one, we started the whole company self-funded with the simple premise, we're going to get revenue first, and we had revenue from four of the largest insurers before we ever raised a single dollar. Because we believe in, we should be able to actually generate 
the go-to-market strategy with client feedback in production versus the theories behind fundraising and the theories behind pivoting. And so um, our original business plan hasn't deviated once since we went live and it just keeps expanding with uh, further tentacles and industries. So how did you make that move from a, you know, I put, I would say safe and in inverted commas career at MetLife and you're working for a large organization to starting up your own, your own business. I mean that your career previously had also been working with large organizations. It sounds like you had an idea and maybe even some technology before you launched the company. I would say I've been on the same journey my whole life, which was I come from a family of entrepreneurs. I guess when I started in the corporate world, I wanted to see how fast I could move up the corporate ladder without ever sacrificing integrity, without ever changing jobs. And I did it. I was one of the youngest managing directors at the top title in city, And of course, the top title in MetLife is EVP. And I did it through what I would call entrepreneurship. And I think it was probably one of the most exciting times in corporate world was when one of my seventh patents, which was built in these large Fortune 50 companies, my seventh patent won best use of digital gold when Amazon Kindle took second to my invention. And it was an exciting place for an insurer, MetLife, to basically win Amazon at their own game. And so it's been a journey I've been on. I've always looked to build solutions that allow us to be more effective, meaning I invented something called Grand Central and City, which was powering 1,300 applications, and another thing called City Marketplace. And I invented um, you know, something called WebFrame, which became the way everyone talks to the mainframe COBOL programs back in 1999 from the web. And it's always about how to be creative and execute and deliver the same way, which really is the way you create a business. And um, for me, you know, going from 10,000 people to one to two to three to now 225 has been one of the most exciting journeys because for the first time we're creating new opportunities for people and bringing in talent better than any Fortune 50 company could ever bring in. And I'd say one of the biggest learning early on was just understanding fundraising, understanding how do we actually execute. Um, nothing's deviated. We, um, we brought on the most incredible investors at our seed round in March 2018. We brought on Goldman Sachs as our investor in April 2019. And we brought on Capital G, which is Alphabet and Google, in September 2019. And of course, Goldman doubled down their investment then, as we just read about this news release. And we brought on BlackRock as an investor and Aqualine and World Innovation Labs and all these incredible investors along the journey, which we're very proud to be working with both as clients and partners. Yeah, and it's a tremendous story. And just with the, the Google Capital Fund or Capital G, uh, we're also doing some work with Google, uh, not quite yet at the level you are, but it, it, can you talk a bit about what they're looking for in, in their investments? What we loved about Capital G when we met them was their diligence process brought all their Google engineers here, the top engineers, who looked at us and basically said, we built the next wave of software development. This is the way software is going to be written in the future. And we are excited by Google because of their technologies in Google Cloud, the vision, the AI, the machine learning. Their capabilities are incredible. Um, while we are cloud agnostic, you know, working with Amazon and Microsoft as well, um, we do actually appreciate all the help that they could bring us in technology of new ideas and new things for our customers, which is why we, we love working with Google. And they are um, incredible. So our board members, we have Layla Sturdy as, as one of the board members from Google. We have Paul Walker as an independent board member who ran all Goldman Sachs technology uh, in his past life. 
And um, I, I'm so honored to have two of the most incredible board members that my board meetings have become really just strategy discussion conversations. Um, you know, as we, we continue to deliver never missing a single quarter target and, um, you know, just talk about how we actually change the entire future and economy using Encore from that point of view. There's a really, yeah, there's a really interesting uh, story here. It sounds like you spent 20 years of you know, getting educated in how to build a business and then you came out and you got the world's best advisors to fund you and to, uh, to advise you once you set up. I mean, it's, it's, a very, it's a very smart model that, that you make it sound very simple, but I'm sure it's very tricky to, to, get, to get right. Um, there's also that, as you talk about the cloud, I think it's a very interesting time now, isn't it, in that space where the three main pro providers, AWS, Azure, and Google Cloud, are all competing for business. And there are some great opportunities through credits, funding, um, accelerators, labs, bringing, giving people the opportunity to build some technology on their, on their platforms. Now, if you think about on Quark, we are the layer on top of cloud. We're solving what no one ever in the past 30 years of software development has, which is the application stack. The entire application you need to build and run all within one environment from the ingestion of data with uh, machine learning and hand signatures through the generation of paper and the output through the digital mechanisms in, in between to capture, store, and validate and insights on data. And so we are the layer on top of cloud, and that's why we're cloud agnostic and we'll be one of the biggest drivers and spenders in cloud as we go forward because the customers trusting us with their hosting and their data we're picking the right cloud, cloud providers and basically driving those discussions as well with them. Your team was over in London recently where I had a chance to meet up uh, with Alex and Ted, and then I think you've been over. I mean, how, how, when you look at the UK and what's going on over here, how do you compare what's happening in the UK and Europe versus what you're seeing in the US? Yeah, we're extremely excited as we enter the, the UK market, and we have an office now uh, in London with critical hires have now been made and will soon be announced. And these are incredible hires to help us build the European business out of London as our headquarters. Um, the, the problems that companies are facing in UK are the same problems we see here in the US, from the inability of technology to solve the problems. And many of those problems are because these companies believe they are special in their requirements and needs and analysis and very different from each other. Um, when there's no more coding, when it's just drag and drop, those uh, customizations, which typically require code, become no cost. It means you could be as special as you need to and be as customized as you need to because there's no more cost or barrier to entry. And from that point of view, you know, the London market is a wide open market for us to explore and basically deliver across both insurance companies, capital markets, banks, governments, uh, any of the solutions they need from real estate technology through insurance and be able to bridge those solutions as well and connect them down the road. And, and what about Lloyd's and the future of Lloyd's and Blueprint One? I mean, that's a big issue now and a lot of the things you've talked about resolving legacy issues and different data sources and things are at the heart of the problem they're trying to solve are you sort of actively engaged with lloyd's and helping them to find some solutions for the for the future at lloyd's 
Uh, as we open up our office in London, it's definitely something we would love to be engaged with. We are in the U.S. working with one of the largest distributors in creating for insurance what I would say is the biggest disruption to increase productivity and decrease expense and increase revenue I have ever seen in my life. And it is an entire concept of uh, data exchange with rules and customizations, cross-carriers, cross-distributors that will transform the insurance industry as we know it. Um, I believe something like that will work very well in Europe as well. And maybe we leverage and benefit from the work being done in Blueprint. Are you also acting as a platform and, and can you sort of, or do you actively look for ways to integrate with some of the other analytical and data companies that are out there? Yes. And it's a, a great question. Again, what I would say is our going in point is if a technology is working to generate value for your business, let's integrate with it and make it work even better. So if you have a CRM tool and that's incredible being used and working the way it should be and you're getting the value from those licenses that you expect, that's great. We could integrate with it within one second, just drag and drop and we're done. And we could bi-directionally update it, pull data, feed data. Uh, if you don't have it or if you're not happy, we could replace the CRM tool in about six hours from scratch. And so with that said, we are definitely integrating and we have an API marketplace to integrate with the biggest API providers of data where you drag and drop and bring them in. We're integrating with uh, each company's own enterprise data warehousing and mark from the reporting side through the analytics side. And those are areas where there are mature products that work where we won't compete and we should leverage those as they sit and, and from that point of view. We are seeing though about 95% of what enterprises do today, we could replace it on Quark. And that, that is the goal that we're driving for. There's very few use cases now that we've seen that we can't drag and drop and build without code. And many of those are the most complex and most functionally rich out there. Okay. And what about that whole sort of the last five years of all the activity in, in Shortex. I'm talking less about the sort of MGA type in Shortex, but more of the companies that have merged offering data and analytics. You know, some of whom have got very high visibility and, and, um, and valuations. Are you so explicitly, and are there any you can talk about where you're partnering with them in, to offer services to your clients or to support them where they're already working with potential clients? Yeah, we're definitely, we're more than happy to work with any software company and short tech company on using Uncork internally. Um, and you'll never know it's us because no one knows Uncork exists in the world if you're using us as a client or not. We're excited by that. Um, many of the insure techs I see out there, I, I love the, the, the ideas being generated from these insure techs and the way they function and the way they work. Uh, the challenge I have is around the in carriers purposes of investing in these companies if they do from their own venture arm and whether or not that makes that insure tech only a single carrier solution, which would basically imply you could have just built it yourself and what's the purpose of that technology. So a lot of the insure techs you see being acquired by large carriers, I do question the value that they have in the valuation aspect if they're not an independent platform. Matthew, early on, I was told by many of the CEOs and CIOs that if I ever took money from any insurance company as an investor, they won't use our platform. And so we made a conscious decision to be Switzerland and not take money from any single insurance company as an investor, even though they would be the ones to be the ultimate investor because they're the clients. It would make total sense. And so a lot of what I see happening in the insurance companies and carriers and investing companies 
Uh, I just worry a little bit about the insure tech game as to whether or not they're making these companies, which could be amazing industry solutions, a single carrier solution in the future. Yeah, and I think it's a big challenge. And I've had that conversation with a number of people in the investment arms at insurance companies. How do you balance that uh, investment aim to, to sort of get the value out of the investment versus the strategic side or embedding it in the, in the business? And you know, certainly there is that risk that then that organization becomes less attractive for others. So, but I think we're already starting to see some changes. I was talking to one major global insurance company that's got a fund that's, you know, it sounds like they're going to be scaling that back. And I think we're going to see more of that going forward. But Gary, I'd just like to talk a little bit about how you run the company, because to move at this kind of speed and scale, you must have, there's a whole load of techniques you must be using with your team and setting direction and goals. It's far too much to get in into one question or the answer to one question, but is there any sort of basic philosophy you've got that might help anybody listening who just wants to sort of learn, you know, what's, a, what's a, the top tip you can give people to be able to move move more quickly and bring their teams with them so you can imagine being a fortune 50 cio with a managing director and evp the amount of investment these companies have made in my education as a business leader whether it's harvard business school executive programs or mit or any other programs or bringing in leaders all that all that investment i've actually kind of came away with only one major thing and the major lesson that we've deployed in on cork is we all have a natural bias to hire people like ourselves. When you meet someone and you interview them, if you like them, it's because they might look and sound like you. And it's a natural bias. And so that was the one commitment I had made early on to say, no one that works directly for me or people work for them should be anything like me in any way, shape, or form. So we have diversity of thought built into the culture. And my leadership team, my executives and my team, not one of them is like each other or like me in any way, shape, or form. And that diversity encourages people to basically think differently, have, be able to share their feedback with a group without ever being ridiculed or fear of ridicule, being able to be more diverse in their hiring. So we probably are one of the most diverse hiring companies in technology. And there was an exercise we did um, early on, Matthew, we hit 50 employees Last year, I remember going from 35 to 50, and I remember my chief operating officer said, you know, um, we're hiring people now that we're not actually the one interviewing them anymore. And it's scary because we don't know if they have the same values that we want as an organization because we haven't actually stepped back and defined the values. And so um, my team and I went off site, and we did an exercise which was, actually one of the most fascinating things I've been through in my entire career, where each of us had about 100 cards in a deck. There was 100 cards, each with color-coded words like confidence and delivery and success and passion. And each of us had to find 10 of the 100 cards most important to us and lay that out in front of us without looking at each other and then stand up and go around the room and see what everyone else said was important to them as a leader and when I walked around the room, just as I had expected, not one of my team members had a common card with me or anyone else. And we then had to step back and as a group say, okay, we need to get to five cards from 50 or 80, whatever we had in front of us, the diverse cards. And we discussed openly what was most important to each of us to come back with our values. And my, my value was fearlessness. 
and optimism. There's two main values there that we, we targeted, which is to change an industry and to disrupt enterprise technology and everything we see, good behavior, bad behavior we see happening, which we see it all, we need to be fearless and not be able to be stopped. And so another value is optimism because we have to believe we could help the customer and get them to production fast, and we do. And another value is diversity of thought. And another value is client success. And finally, we have to be empathetic. And empathy is the fifth value that we basically look at and say, you know what, um, we have to understand where are our clients sitting? What is their views? What have they lived through? What's the issues they face? Our employees, where do they come from? What are the issues they face? How do they succeed? And so I think defining those values in a company in which no one is like you and everyone below you is not like you is probably the most critical thing for any business to deliver against. Yeah, it's fascinating. So the one, the one common the one that you've got in common is that you're all unlike each other. It's, uh, it's a very refreshing way to, to do it, but it sounds like you managed to get there to find you. And that's probably very hard as well, trying to find those five characteristics that you do actually want to, uh, to land on. And certainly enthusiasm is one I certainly see in everybody that's successful, you know, being able to get through all the, the challenges. Um, so, so Gary, one other thing I just wanted to, to run past you and then we'll, we'll wrap up fairly soon, but uh, you, there's, there's so much going on in the world. You're building a business at speed. You've got the technology. How on earth do you keep up with everything else that's happening outside of the business, uh, in particular in the world of insurance and sort of staying relevant when you personally speak to your clients? The word digital to me is really means listening. I have coffee with all the new employees one-on-one when they come in. And so listening means listening to the industry hearing the pain points um, and understanding where they are. There was, uh, Matthew, there was one customer early on in which we were invited to speak to their CEO and their technology team, and we were flown in for this meeting. And I'll never forget this conversation because we simply had the slide up on the screen that said Uncork. And I simply told the team who I am and who my CTO is and who is my head of financial services in the room and their background. And then there was a hand raised in the room. And the individual said, hi, I'm so-and-so and and I'm the chief architect. Um, Do you use blockchain? And we haven't even talked about what we do yet, but okay, so I answered the question. We're being trusted to store the most critical confidential data without the need of a ledger or encryption and the overhead associated. So no, we don't use blockchain. And the other, another hand comes up and says, hi, I'm the, uh, you know, chief digital officer. And by the way, what happens when the keyboard goes away and the mouse goes away and the screen goes away? And we're all looking at each other like, you mean like Siri or Alexa? Like that's, and they say, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we described how we could already integrate with those solutions today. And then every customer gets it. And so you can imagine, Matthew, I'm super excited. I'm like, this is great. This is a really technically advanced audience. And this is going to be a great conversation with their business partners. And then we do what we do always, which is ask a simple question. Hey, CEO, what's your biggest problem today? Where can we help you? Let's talk about your issues. And the CEO stops and goes, can you get rid of the fax machines? 80% of our business is being run off fax machines and faxes. Please get rid of the paper and the fax machines. And so it's such a big disconnect between the technology leaders in that room asking about blockchain and Alexa versus the business's problems, which is dealing with paper. And the answer was, yes, we could take over paper for you and we could digitize the business. And so that's listening. That's not telling someone their problems. That's asking and understanding. Now, that's a fantastic story. I mean, there's two things in that that really resonate with me. One is we all talk about digital, but 
you know, there's such an important human element around work you know, today as it always has been. And, uh, and the second one is, is that point about asking what the problems are. Yeah, and what the realization for me is I sort of talked to a lot of people like yourself who are successfully building companies is that the real pain points are the problems. And so if you sort of try and ask people what the opportunities are, they can list a whole range of things. But if you find out what their problems are, and in your example with the fax machines, and you can solve that, then I suspect that's a big part of why you've been successful and be able to move so fast is you just zero in on the problems and, and look for a solution of the people at the top. It's exactly right. You've got it, Matthew. It's exactly right. Well, Gary, we've covered a lot. I've asked you a lot of questions. Is there anything we haven't spoken about that you'd, you'd like to talk about before we, uh, before we wrap up? Yeah, I mean, we're, uh, you know, we're excited by the, the journey here. And I, I appreciate, Matthew, the time in, in your podcast and um, all the passion and energy of this conversation is what we're about. And I guess would like to thank everyone for their, for their ongoing support as a company and disruptor in the world and look forward to what the future holds for all of us here in technology. No, well, we very much look forward to seeing what happens next with Uncork. I can tell it's going to be uh, an exciting stage ahead and, and some lessons, more, more lessons to be learned for all of us. So, Gary, now, thank you very much. That was tremendous to tap into some of your experience and some, some really useful insights there. So, again, yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Awesome. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks again for the time today. Well, what can I add to that? Do check us out at www.instec.london to find out how we can make your life better. And please keep listening and sharing.